Welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast, where we offer solutions to the obstacles you face when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals. As a married couple who's lost a combined weight of 100 kilograms and 11 clothes sizes, our raw, real, and relatable stories will show you the path you must walk to achieve, and more importantly, maintain the results you know you can reach, because we know it works. So get ready to share the success and show the results with your hosts, Matt and Courtney. Hello and welcome back to season four. Matt is joining me as always. Hi, Matt. Hello, welcome to season four. Random shit. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of which, today we're going to be talking about fussy eaters. We know a couple of fussy eaters. Yeah, I'm. That would be me as one of them. Yes. I know a fussy eater. <laughs> yes. Although you could probably argue most people are fussy eaters. They are in uh, their own ways. Actually, could yeah. you argue that everyone's a fussy eater in some way? I think. What we're going to point out throughout this podcast is that, yes, I think most people are fussy eaters in their own way. It just – there's different reasons why. Well, as as we've got here as part of our notes that we'll get into, there are, from our observations, different types yes. of fussy eaters in terms of what, what reasons there are. Mm. I think we've got to start by saying that it's actually okay to be a fussy eater. Yeah, it is. chances are you are one. Yeah, and I think there is too much stigma placed on fussy eating being a bad thing. In what way? I think it it automatically people say fussy eater, and I think it's it's almost a complaint um, sometimes, or like a negative connotation, like it's annoying, um, it restrictive. It brings up these sort of I think words, but well, I'll tell you what, it can be in some ways restrictive. It can be. I've seen it used as a crutch. Mm. Almost like an excuse. Oh, well, I don't try new things. I'm a fussy eater. Like, fucking everyone's a fussy eater, mate. Yeah. So, definitely, it's okay to be a fussy eater. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's not, oh, no, not, at all. It's not the disaster that it's made out to no, be. It's not. As long as that you're aware of, of it, you're aware of your fussiness, if that makes sense. And you're continuing to try to sort of push yourself where possible. Yeah. Hmm. There's, there's always ways to improve. Yeah. And there's always ways to, I guess you could say, change the way you are a fussy eater. Mm-hmm. So we have, Courtney and I have done some brainstorming and putting together our experiences, both personally and from a professional standpoint, working with a lot of people over a long period of time. We've come up with four different types of fussy eaters. Yes. So we know that, well, I know you, Courtney, fit into one of these categories. Yes. At least one. Mm-hmm. Actually, probably two. Two. Uh, you listening are most likely going to fit into one of these as well. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what it is. So let's lay into this one, Courtney. Yes. Four different types of fussy eater. We'll take this in order and we'll take turns because that's what we do. Mm. Shall I? Yes. Okay. First type of fussy eater Someone who just doesn't like lots of different food groups. Mm. I don't like fruit. I don't like red meat. Yes. I don't like mm, tea and coffee. Mm. Yeah? Yes. What's the next one? The number two is the eater who has is fussy because of intolerances, allergies, um, oh, uh, Certain standards of living, so vegetarian, vegan. Ethics. Ethics. 
So tolerances, intolerances, slash allergies and ethics. Yep. Third type of fussy eater is the one who gets bored with their food, which usually comes because they eat the same fucking stuff. <laughs> so we'll often find that the, uh, the fussy eater who gets bored with their food uh, tends to usually be someone who's very time poor and gets caught up looking for quick and easy options, except quick and easy options makes them bored. Mm. Then they go look for... They float in other, and out of different they go, things. They go look for yes. other things. Yep. And the fourth type, Courtney, is? Uh, the eater who is... A tr- a, I can't speak today. Tell it, bro. It's like I know it's so different to every other day that I can't speak. Um, the eater who's a... a I can't. I don't know what's happening to me. The eater who is attached to their food choices, even if those food choices are not working for them. So we talk attached, about... Attached. Okay, so you just practice that in the corner. Attached. So talking about uh, an emotional attachment to food, mm. a certain types of food, and an unwillingness to let go mm. or replace, even if those foods clearly are not serving the greater good. Yes. So I'll give – well, actually, no, you, you know what? I won't dive into that just so much yet. So we've got these these four types of fussy eaters. Mm-hmm. Courtney, which ones are you? Well, I have intolerances. So I would definitely be a fussy eater due to intolerances. Intolerances to what specifically? Well – I have an intolerance. How long do we have? <laughs> I have intolerance to gluten, to dairy, to garlic, to onion, to beans, legumes. Mm-hmm. They're the main ones. Do you have an intolerance to idiots? <laughs> yes. Okay, so do we include that? They're the main ones that I, I do tend to avoid. Um, I would also put myself in the category of someone who gets bored of food quickly. Oh, um, hang on. <laughs> I've pressed the wrong one. That's the wrong one. We're both doing so well today. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, 100%. We got there. We got there. We got there. Um, I definitely think those are my main two. Which ones are you, Matt? Well, number four, historically, I've been uh, an eater who's been attached to my food choices and not willing to budge, mm. even when they don't work. So easy classic example, which is what I think a lot of people who struggle with getting any sort of meaningful results can relate to, where I'll go back to when I was younger, lots and lots and lots of exercise. Mm-hmm. All the focus is on the training and moving my body, which, make no mistake, fantastic things to do. Mm. Like exercise is good for you, uh, yeah, but... Here comes the butt. I wouldn't change what I was eating. So still eating ice cream, potato chips, junk, mm. and would not let it go. Because in my mind, I will, I can, I'm exercising, I'm just keep eating this. Mm. So I was fussy in a way that I was unwilling to try new things because I thought I could get away with the old things. Yeah. That makes sense? It does. And I think the one thing to really point out here is that one and four are very similar. So one was the eater who just doesn't like a lot of food groups. And that's, again, that's generally by choice. 
So I was I was very much like this years ago where I would just say I don't like that but I don't ever remember trying it. Okay, such as? So I, there was, because I can join you on this. Yeah, so there was a lot of fruits. I, I never. I would always say I never liked. Name and shame. Let's oh, go. I did never. Um, I never used to like banana. Mm-hmm. Bananas. Um, is it? Hang on. Is it? You never used to like banana, or you told yourself you didn't like banana. I told myself because I don't ever, like. I don't remember eating much of it growing up. Mm. Um, so I don't remember having that moment where I was like, "Oh yeah, I tried that and I didn't like it." I mm. don't remember that moment. Um, whereas now, I would. I still. I've tried bananas. I still don't love them, but I would have them in like, I don't mind the flavor of banana flavor. So I'd have it in a smoothie, but I don't particularly like bananas. Oh, well, what, what you're saying there is using banana as an example, you're not a fan of banana by themselves, but blending them in with other things, you quite like them. Yes. So mixing absolutely. it together yeah, is a great yeah. flavor to mix together. Yep. And I've discovered over the years, actually, there's quite a few foods like that where, and that's something I would never even thought of back then. I would have just tried a food as well and just said, I don't like it. Whereas I would never have thought, or oh, maybe I'll mix it with something else. You know what? I'm glad we've, uh, I'm glad you brought this up because when you asked me before, which one am I? I actually wasn't just number four. Now that we're talking about it, I was number one as well. Because mm. you mentioned an example of banana. Like, I didn't like, well, I told myself, I didn't like pumpkin. I didn't like kiwi fruit. I, I didn't, didn't like kiwi fruit. I, I still don't like, to be honest. But I do. Uh, I didn't like passion fruit. Yep. I didn't like broccoli. I didn't like cauliflower. I didn't like Brussels sprouts. Yeah, I didn't like Brussels sprouts. I'd never tried them. I didn't like sweet potato. Ah. And how much of those foods do you think I'd had at the time? None of them. Not fucking much <laughs> is the answer. Where, like, obviously a lot of water has passed under the bridge. All those foods I just mentioned, I love. Mm. Love. In fact, Courtney and I just did our grocery shopping this morning and I loaded us up with pumpkin because it's my favourite vegetable. Yeah. One of my favourites. But, yeah, I definitely can identify with that in terms of you tell yourself you don't like certain things and it's almost like a self-limiting belief. You're, you're putting these yeah. walls up. Cutting yourself off, or oh, I don't have those types of foods. Well, you know what? Things can change. Yeah, and I think it's also a cooking method style as well. Well, it's this, like well, okay, well, if you don't like mashed pumpkin, try roasting it. That you is know? such a great point in terms of like it, well, it, it. That plays off what you said with a banana before. You don't like banana by itself, but you no. like it blended in with other things. Love it. So it's not. So it is. You. hundred percent. Oh, <laughs> That's how correct you are. Like in terms of it's not just how you cook it or how you present it, but what do you have it with? Yeah. And so I still, to be fair, still now here in 2020, I don't really like broccoli by itself. No. I find it bland, Mm. tasteless, and honestly boring. But mixing raw broccoli chopped up into a salad Oh my. Yeah, delicious. The crunch mm. that it adds is unbeatable and it's a way of hiding it in there. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, well, although to be fair, I do like pumpkin by itself now, especially when it comes out of the oven roasted. Mm-hmm. But oven roasted pumpkin blended in with about 12, 15, 20 other ingredients inside a salad 
holy shit. Yeah. I and I and I agree. And so yeah, there's uh, there's other things as well. I never used to like beetroot. I love beetroot. Always told myself I hate beetroot. Yeah, well, you know what? I can I can relate to that. Uh, when I when I was younger, the only sort of fruit I liked was apples, oranges, and of course pineapple. I was similar. I was apples, um, nectarines, and grapes. Well, grapes are it's pretty much the only fruit that I still and you still love nectarines. Like. <laughs> still love nectarines. Yeah, but I think so. Go getting back to number one, which is the eater who doesn't like a lot of food groups. I think this is a particular category where you can, as you said, Matt. You can bring the, the walls in. Mm. People can bring the walls in. Mm. And this is where the word restriction, I think, comes a lot into play. And people are self-restricting what they what their options are. Mm-hmm. And then the problem is I think some of these lead into other ones. So, like, one can lead into four people who are attached to their current food choices. Well, yeah, totally. And it can also lead into number three, which is then I get bored of my food choices because you've limited what your groups are. Now. Those three there, if you combine them, you know what that leads to? Binge eating. Yeah. Doesn't it? It does. So I think, you know, definitely if you're finding yourself where you're resonating with, say, number one, that you uh, don't like a lot of different food groups or, or food items, you know, start to, to think about how you're cooking them. You know, these are the things that you do have to start to think about. What are you having yeah. them with? How are you cooking them? How much spice are you adding? If you're just boiling vegetables Ugh. and then putting them on the plate it's boring or steaming them by themselves it's boring yeah. and it doesn't have to be that way so again we're restricting we're restricting we're restricting we, we we've said it before matt you know the average choices that we make as as humans five in terms week. of food five a week is five a week yep. if you start limiting that even more mm. well no wonder you're going to get bored or no wonder you're going to binge eat how boring yeah it's almost it, it's it's kind of without almost like Okay, back it up. Thank you. Bring it back. So you can have this number one in particular who doesn't like a lot of food groups. That can, without deliberately being so, be a diet mindset. Yes, yeah. In terms of cut, 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 cut. Mm -hmm. And it's also um, the same thing that can happen with things like meal plans and diets where that's where number three comes into it, the eater who gets bored with their food because they eat the same stuff. That's why we don't subscribe to meal plans. No. Because why don't, don't tell someone what they can have because it then tells them what they can't have. Putting yourself into a box, even more of a yeah. box than we already as human beings do on a, on a weekly basis. Mm. So, And that's why we speak so much as well about colour. And that's why colour is so important. Critical. Because it takes the – other, the other reason why not just from a nutritional standpoint that I believe that the colour aspect is so important – it's also to get you thinking less about the actual ingredient mm. and more about the colour. So it's stopping you from looking at food thinking, oh, well, you know, I don't like beetroot and I don't like this and I don't like that. Well, I'm sitting there when I'm making a salad, say, and saying, well, I need to put something that's red in here. Mm-hmm. So I've got to find something, you know, and so then I'm automatically not thinking about the food groups that I have told myself I don't like, but I'm thinking about I need to find something that's red. Mm. And so you're taking the emphasis off constantly thinking about these foods that you're telling yourself that you don't like. So that's why colour is not just from a nutritional standpoint so important, but also just from a standpoint of getting your head around looking at food differently. I'm glad you also mentioned that because in many ways 
depending on how fussy someone can be, it, it can, I think, be part of or lead to a damaged relationship with food mm. in terms of leading to you looking at things in a good or bad or right or wrong mindset. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And that's one of the reasons why, like, with, with the people that Courtney and I work with, we are so bullish on pushing them to try new things to get more colour on the plate and in the bowl because it gives it, it gives you a chance to expand mm. you know, and gives your body a chance to adjust mm. and expose yourself to new you know, tastes, textures and flavours. And in many ways as well, as, as we've sort of been speaking about, you can, you can kind of sneak in foods that you don't think you like that mixed with other foods become something different altogether. And my broccoli example is personally a really good one because, like I said, I, I do not like broccoli by itself. But with other ingredients as a blend, like, it's essential. Mm. You know, same thing, um, Brussels sprouts, uh, a superfood as far as vegetables go, mm. uh, an acquired taste if you're having them by themselves. However, uh, Courtney has this, this fantastic method of oven roasting them with a bit of garlic. Yes, yeah, so there's nothing groundbreaking. It's literally you just um, just chop the end off, chop them in half. I put them on a baking tray and uh, add some drizzle, drizzle over a little bit of extra virgin olive oil, a bit of garlic, roast them. Okay, I disagree with you. It is groundbreaking. <laughs> you know why though? Why? Because it changes the vegetable in a good way. Mm. So I could, if I used my willpower whatever the fuck that's worth, force myself to slam down raw or just, you know, boiled or steamed Brussels sprouts, but it's a fucking effort. But if Courtney does something as simple as oven roasting them with a bit of garlic and olive oil and then put it into a blend with a salad, whoa. Mm. It, it just changes the entire it's a new dimension to the meal. Yeah. You know, so I actually think... I think you're probably underselling it there, Courtney. Actually, actually, it is groundbreaking in that it changes your – for me personally, it changes my perception of that food. Yeah, and I think also moving on to number two, which as we spoke about was the eater who is fussy due to intolerances, tolerances, you know, allergies, um, ethics. This is where we come back to – because most people would see that and say, well, that's not fussy – that's something they can't help. Mm-hmm. And that's why we said at the start, being fussy, it is okay. Mm. So to me, I have quite a few intolerances. Mm. To me, I am a fussy eater mm-hmm. because there's things I can't have and there's things that I need to change on meals, things like that. But I don't look at it as a negative thing. It is what it is and I, and I embrace it and I work around it. Well, here's the thing. It's definitely there's people with – and like I live with one – who have a, a number of intolerances slash allergies, and that's fine. Like, I've got certain foods that my body doesn't like too much either. Mm. Most people we, do. We, we've all got this. The mm. thing is, to me, where it becomes an issue is where you use it again as a crutch. Yes. So one thing Courtney will attest to in terms of how fucking annoying I can be is even within Courtney's various intolerances, I've pushed you to keep pushing the boundaries within what you know you can and can't have just to see what you can do. Yeah. And not not make what you have boring and bland. Yes. 
You know, so even when there are tolerances and allergies at play, there still is a lot of merit. I'm sure, like, I would like to think you'll back me up on this, Courtney. There's a lot of merit in experimenting to see how far you can push it and what your body can handle. Because there's no chance, and I'm sure, like, please come with me on this one. There's no way you can then say, oh, well, I've got these intolerances to this, this, and this, and this. And I've literally tried everything else. Yeah, no. No, you haven't. In, intolerances definitely can be checked here and there. And way? I've checked them. How? Um, Personally, can you share some insight there? Yes, I will. And the thing I will just say is that allergies can't. So I, mm-hmm. we're well aware that if you've got an allergy, it's an allergy. Oh, an allergy is an allergy. So like you're not going to test that. No, no. But when you've got intolerances like I do, so yeah. I'm not allergic to gluten and I'm not allergic to dairy, mm. I will not have the same reaction as someone who is allergic to them. Well, before you continue, the thing is with allergies, allergies just to me are certain hard boundaries. Yes. And you just and you don't fuck with them. No. However, outside of those boundaries, what what can you do? Correct. So there's still areas that you can broaden your scope. Absolutely. And there's still ways that you can then not fall into the trap of falling into one of these other categories. You're not falling into the trap of I don't. I'm not going to try any other food. I'm going to stay where I am mm. because I don't. I don't want to. Or I'm scared to try other foods. Yeah. Um. And you know, you might fall into the trap of the eater who gets bored of their food then um, and looks for the quick fixes all the time. So, if you if you stay too tight, if you've got allergies, then you are going to fall into these other categories. With in- intolerances, yes, there's a little bit more maybe experimentation that can happen sometimes. And that's what I have do- yes, done over the years. I have um, done elimination sort of style of eating. That was to figure out what I was um, intolerant to and how, what was reacting okay. poorly how to. How do you approach that exactly? So basically we, you have to monitor what you're eating. So you have to write down everything that you're eating. Oh, my God. Really? Yes. And then is – that, Is that important? It is. It is very important. And to be honest with you – Pre-warning for anyone who's going to do some sort of elimination style, it is time-consuming and it is very annoying. Mm. Um, I would just put that disclaimer on it because what happens basically is that you record everything that you're eating and then whatever you think it is that is causing you, you know, stomach pains or discomfort, discomfort in some way or bloating yeah. or whatever it is, you eliminate that one ingredient only. Yeah. Now, this is where the time-consuming and the annoying part comes in. This is what I did, and it took me a really long time because basically I would record what I was doing and I would take one thing out, and I would then record that for two weeks, mm. at least two weeks, and then I would see if there was any change, and if there was no change, then I would take the next thing out. And then you're doing it one thing at a time, and if – your body is still not reacting properly like mine didn't, basically then I would have to wait another two weeks for I've obviously eaten something that my my body hasn't agreed with and I would retain a lot of fluid and I would bloat. And that bloating would last anywhere from 7 to 14 days for me. So then I would have to wait for that bloating to come down before I could eliminate the next food group. So it was really time-consuming and really annoying, but it was really the best thing I ever did because it was able to show me what I should avoid, what I shouldn't avoid. So it gives me all the information that I now need. Was that frustrating, doing that process? Highly frustrating. Why? How? 
it's it's frustrating because you know it's in there somewhere and you just want to find it because so you feel impatience? like shit. Impatience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you feel like shit, and every time it's like opening the wrong door, and it's so frustrating because you know this is going to cost you another month, basically. Because you've got to wait two weeks for my body to go back down to normal. To deflate. To deflate. And then I've got to spend two weeks testing this new ingredient, the next ingredient, to see whether that was it. Do you know what I mean? So it's just you know every time you react to something that it's like you it just feels like such a waste of time. It's also information though, isn't it? It is information. So ultimately, as I said, it was the best thing I did because it gave me so much information about my body and I'm able now to really know when and I know straight away now if I've eaten something that I shouldn't have eaten, I know straight away how I feel it. So my the the reaction that my stomach will do. So I'll I'll get stomach pains and I know once those stomach pains sort of hit that by tomorrow morning I'll be bloated. Is there normally a time frame when that when that hits after you've eaten something, or can it vary? It can vary. It depends what it is. Okay, but it it's usually can, fairly. Can, can soon. Give you some examples. Very like soon after I eat. So mm-hmm. I can tolerate certain amounts of things. So I could tolerate a small amount of gluten and dairy mm-hmm. without too much. I do, can't really tolerate much garlic at all. I can tolerate a little bit of onion. Which is fine, by the way, more garlic for me. Yeah. So there's different levels of different things. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and, and you just get to know it. You get to know your body and you get to know what it is and um what you feel like is going to be okay and not okay. And that, I guess, is the difference between intolerances and allergies because al- people with allergies, unfortunately, don't have that luxury no, of knowing how much they can tolerate. However, um, they don't have that luxury, but they do have that information. Yeah. And so it's... But it's the same thing I'll just say as well, mm-hmm. back to this one, you've mm-hmm. also got the ethics, yep. the ethical standpoint where people choose you know, to cut certain food groups out of their lifestyle mm-hmm. altogether, which, again, totally fine if, well, if that's what you want to do. I, I look at ethics the same way I look at allergies. That just means they're your hard boundaries, and that's fine. Yeah. You work within those. Yes. It's like if, if someone comes to us and they're a, a full vegan, okay, great. Mm. We'll just make – we know where the boundaries are, and we'll now work within those yeah. boundaries, which, yeah. is, which is A-okay. Because even then, within like I said, within those boundaries, there's things that can be done. Oh, there's there's so many, there's so much food out there that we and combinations as well on an average basis do not ever think about. Yep, and do not even investigate eating. Generally, generally, like especially in, in the context of this whole podcast, like you show me someone who's overweight, I'll show you someone whose food variety is poor. Very, very, very poor in terms of their, you know, like quality, nutritious choices. The variety of them is even limited feels like an understatement, mm. you know. And despite despite what someone might have in terms of, as we've spoken about, like ethical boundaries or allergy-based boundaries, you can get around that. Absolutely. It just tells you what you shouldn't do. Yeah. So the thing is with this – sorry sorry to interrupt there, Courtney um, – it can be so easy, I think you know this yourself, it can be so easy to get caught up in a negative frame of mind in terms of, oh, well, I can't have this and I can't have that, as opposed to looking, well, what could I have? What can I try? What, 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 sorry, again, my bad. What experiments can I run 
in terms of different ingredients, different cooking methods, different blends, different concoctions. Through this, through what we're talking about here, for example, I learned I love sweet and savoury mixed together. Mm. I love hot and cold mixed together. I love a hot meal with some cold ingredients through it. I love it. Do you know how I knew that? By trying it out and testing. That makes sense? It does. And I, and I just think that that is what you said there is really key to take, you know, people will say, oh, the average person that has an allergy isn't a fussy eater. It's not necessarily the allergy that makes them a fussy eater. It'll be the fact that they're using it, like what you just said, to stay where they are and never progress. Yeah. Well, the thing is, just from, from experience now, to me, it's like you can sort of beat yourself up thinking, oh, I'm not normal, I don't eat this, or I can't tolerate that, or I'm allergic to this. Like, Actually, that's normal from my experience, is to have people who have certain things that their body doesn't agree with for whatever reason, that's the normality. Mm. That's normal. Abnormal is, oh, yeah, I can have anything. It feels great. Mm. I can't remember being told that. It's a lot like, say, exercise, where people will say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry to be a pain. I just, I can't do a normal exercise program because, like, I've got a, an English shoulder. Like, what the fuck's a normal exercise program? Mm. Same thing here with these different types of foods. So to me, being a fussy eater, for whatever reason, is normal. Mm. Yeah? Yep. What were you going to say, sorry? Nothing. I thought I, was, I thought I interrupted you again. Maybe you did, but it's gone now, so <laughs> couldn't have been that exciting. Yeah. I think we should move on to tips. We've been mainly talking about tips through this already, but I think we'll go into what we had listed here as really topics we wanted to, uh, to touch on. All right. Well, depending, actually probably not even depending, but you would say regardless of what type of a fussy eater you are, of the four that we've mentioned, the first tip we want to give is you've got to find what works through variety and experimentation. So that's what Courtney was talking about before in terms of you know, discovering the boundaries of her tolerances and intolerances is through test, 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 and also having information recorded not going off memory because mm. that is the worst thing you can do mm. is try and go off memory. Oh, I'll just remember that. No, you fucking won't. Mm-hmm. Most people, and this includes us, couldn't tell you with any sort of detail what they ate yesterday. No. I can't. I know you can't, Courtney. And we do this for a living. Yes. So you've got to be prepared to push your boundaries where possible. So the, the allergies one's an easy one. Like if you if you've um if you have anaphylactic issues, like don't push the boundaries and fucking eat nuts. Okay, thanks. Can we start with that common sense? Outside of hard boundaries, variety and experimentation, and which means going to the next tip, Courtney, we need to have a bit of oh, be patient. Yeah, but have have a bit of patience. But Courtney, take I a hate, deep breath. I hate being patient. I want to know it all now. Too bad. You can't. Um, You need to be patient. And the other thing that you need to be aware of and acknowledge is that over time your taste buds change. Would you say yours have changed? Definitely. I I can handle now a lot more uh, savoury, bitter Mm flavours than I could when I was younger. 
And that has a lot to do with the fact that I don't eat as much sugar now mm. as I did when I was younger. So I used to have sugar in everything, mm. sugar in coffee, sugar in everything. Um, and all when the, I all took, the ice cream, the chocolate. Yeah. The, the so sweets. when I cut back on a lot of that sugar, it's amazing how then your taste buds are, are able to change and you can handle a lot more bitter flavours. I think you, you also can develop tastes for spices and other flavorings that you may not necessarily have ever used before. Like I cook a lot now with cumin and paprika and these sort of spices that I would never have cooked with when I was younger, Mm. but it's delicious, you know, and even experimenting. And I'm not a master cook by any means. Mate, give yourself some credit. You're pretty good. Most of the information I get it's it's from other recipes or it's it's online or you know I would well we tend to use the recipes we give our own clients I would never have known about how good cinnamon tastes on sweet potato until somebody else told me yeah that's a game changer and now a game changer you would never think to put cinnamon well maybe some people would think but I would never have thought we wouldn't think that to put <laughs> to put cinnamon on sweet potato and roast it in the oven amazing it is it's next level it is amazing combination so things like that i would never have been open to either and then what happens the thing is like that just that little thing there oven roasted sweet potato sprinkled with cinnamon by itself amazing mixed in with a salad whoa yeah so allow allow be patient in general with yourself but also be acknowledge and and be aware that your taste buds will evolve over time so to make sure that you are looking into those other spices and ways of cooking methods that might broaden your scope and broaden your your scope of choice basically can i also just add we haven't got it in the notes but really it should be you know it's not just your taste buds that can change your sense of smell yeah so you look at you look at when there's when you're younger or if you're if you're the sort of person who's fussy in terms of I don't like this, I don't like that, and let's say you're a sweet tooth and you like a lot of sweet foods, the smell of savoury things being cooked may not be appealing to you. Over time, that can change. Mm. So I know for me, for example, now, like whenever whenever Courtney was, was to do those um, oven-roasted garlic... Uh, Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts, thank you very much. The smell of that drives me crazy because it's like, oh, shit. And it's like, I want that. Same thing with uh, oven-roasted pumpkin because Courtney will put some herbs on there. Is it the Italian herbs? What's mm-hmm. the herbs you put on the, on the pumpkin normally? Italian dried herbs. Okay. Mm-hmm. The smell of that as it, as it goes through the house. Same thing with a, a classic example, an easy one, slow cooker. When you have the slow cooker going overnight, and you wake up in the next morning, it's like, oh, shit. Delicious. This is happening. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, over time, as Courtney said, yes, your taste buds change, like without question. So does your sense of smell mm. and the things that appeal to you. So the things you start to smell now, like, oh, that's really, really good. A few years ago, it might have been, Ugh. Mm. So the, the, the tip of having to be patient and giving yourself time to change is 100% accurate. Mm. That's the key word, isn't it? P- p- patience. Patience. Which no one likes, but honestly, like, that's the, that's the fucking way it works. Yeah. And the thing is, like, you've got you and I sitting here now talking about, oh, well, back then we didn't like this and now we like that. It's taken fucking time mm. for this to change and, and for the awareness to come with it. You know what I mean? In terms of, like, accepting, like, oh, shit, 
I'm become I'm a different person mm. from this. But it's it's we haven't really forced it in terms of forcing it on ourselves. Yes, you've got to give yourself time to grow, and there are the, you need to push. Yeah, in terms of like there is some there is some scope here to go like you know what I've got to expand my food horizons, as we say, and then give myself the time to adjust. Yeah, that's a long tip. The next one is very very simple. Quick and easy is not always quick and easy. Yes. So very commonly we will, and we'll see this a lot with clients that we've worked with. So we'll give them access to over 300 different fantastic recipes and there's no bad choices to be made there. No. And we tell our clients, okay, if you select from these recipes, you're going to change. Mm. It's impossible not to. Simple as that. All right, cool. The trap you can fall into is going, well, okay, I'm now making up these three different meals and they're all healthy and they're quick and easy for me to make. And then a couple of weeks later, you get a message. <sighs> I had a blowout. I had a binge, whatever it was. I white and ask, what is that? <sighs> I just got sick of my food. You know why you got sick of your food? Because you're trying to make it too quick and easy, having the same shit over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Quick and easy is not always quick and easy. No. And it is human nature to try and seek the shortest route to the destination. I get that. I, I'm the same. In this particular instance, you've got to understand that the easy choice is not always the easy choice. There can sometimes be a price to pay on the other side. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah? Yes, absolutely. So just so before you go to the next one, Courtney, just understand where though it is in d- indeed human nature to seek quick and easy and convenient, there is often a price to be paid. And from our our professional and personal recommendation is if you find yourself getting bored with your quick and easy choices, you've got to move and expand. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Which leads to the next point. Yeah, which is people need variety. Absolutely. People need – you need variety. And if if you think you don't, well, you're wrong. <laughs> I've, I've worked – in my career so far, I've worked with one human being in 10 years now that doesn't need variety. Yeah. That's it out of – Hundreds. Yeah. And by the way, that's not me. No. I'm not talking about myself either. So I think if you if you think you're that person, the chances are you're probably not. Uh, you're not that special? So no. there's a very, very few people in the world that can get away with having no variety and yeah. be fine with it. Yep. So chances are you will need variety in your in your life for multiple reasons. And that's that comes back to not getting bored. With, with having the same thing all the time. It can also be you've had a um, – your relationship with food has been altered or damaged through different diets and restrictions, mm. you know, and you can start to develop that that right or wrong mentality when it comes to yeah. food. Yeah. You know, and variety helps to sort of be, become more inclusive yes. of different sorts of foods that are out there and understanding that, I mean, when you, when you exclude the obvious shit – that you can buy and shove into your face, there is a role that can be played with virtually any food type you think. Mm. It's just a case of over time figuring out, well, does my body like it? Does it suit my goals? Like, am I exercising or not? You know, things like that. Uh, so, yeah, most people do indeed. You know, I don't want to say all people. 
Like when I can, we can, I can only think of one person in ten years that I've met that has not needed variety. That's the outlier. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and moving on from that, the last one is embrace change. Yes. So embrace change. Expose yourself to new flavors, to new textures, to new cooking methods, to new foods, ingredients, foods that you maybe not have tried in a long time, foods that you used to hate being prepared in a certain way. Google it. See how else you can prepare them. I, See if there's something different that you're missing. I think also with with the the tip of embrace change and expose yourself to new tastes, flavors, textures. Do not be afraid to try something that you may not like. Because mm. you know what? If you don't like it, fine. At least you know. Mm-hmm. This is this is one thing I I do see. Especially with uh, the fussy eater number four, the eater who is attached to their food choices, even even if they're not working for them, often there's a reluctance to try new things based on fear. Mm. And the fear tends to be, what if I don't like it? Okay, first world problem. Somebody in your household or somebody will eat it. People will say, I don't want to waste the food. Someone will eat it. Well, the thing is as well, is it a waste if you figure out, like say you... And how many times have we done this, right? You've got a recipe and you cook it as per plan. Okay, great. You eat it and you go, oh, you know what? That could use less of this or that could use more of that. And generally there's ways to fix things as well. So if you make a recipe and you don't like it, don't panic. Think of some some way you can fix it. I've made recipes before and I've realized when I've gone to eat it that it's incredibly spicy. Now, I'm not a spicy fan Mm -hmm. so instead of just thinking well that's a whole waste of food no i'm going to figure out a way to fix it so i'm going to put more vegetables in to thin the batch out so it's not as spicy or i'm going to add something else to it you know matt and i made a a a batch of um mincemeat um beef mincemeat with like a a pasta like a red sauce style just to be safe for for our our american friends wondering when we say minced meat we mean ground oh ground meat yeah ground beef so we made that with like a red sauce like a pastry sort of red sauce Mm. um and some different spices and things like that in there now matt didn't like it i finished it off because i didn't mind it i didn't think it was great but i didn't mind it but there was also ways to make it a bit better in finishing that batch off because I just added a bit more spice to it. There was different ways that we knew we knew what we had to do for next time we cooked it. And we were like, okay, this isn't great, but I think it needs more spices. It's a bit bland. You can taste the ground beef a bit too much. We didn't love yeah, that. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the mincemeat without flavour is, is not the best. But the thing is, this is a great point because that batch wasn't the best. But then Courtney said to me, oh, well, on the next batch, I'll do this, this, and this. And she did that, and the next batch was a home run. Yeah. Same same ingredients, just a bit more of – well, actually, you know what the difference was. You cooked it. A bit more flavour. A bit more flavour, but what a difference. A bit more spices but in But the thing is that the whole point of this is you don't know this unless you take the risk. Mm. And if you make something that you don't like, that's fine. What can you do to adjust it for next time or to even improve the batch you've already made? I'll give a personal example here of one of the recipes that we give access to our clients is called a three-minute omelette. Mm-hmm. Now, make no mistake, I love omelettes, right? But I've become a bit fussy in terms of 
I don't like omelets now unless they are loaded. Because you see my omelets, Courtney. Yeah, they loaded are, with ingredients. They are, they are something else. Mm-hmm. So our, the recipe that we got access to and that we give our clients called the three-minute omelette is a, a very nutritious, healthy omelette. But for, for Matt, I think it's a bit light on. Yeah. So what do I do with my omelette? I Add basically quadruple mm. the amount of vegetables that go in there and it's a different beast altogether. But again, I didn't know this unless I did it as it is to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then this, then this is when the rewards come in because over time you're experimenting with different types of foods and figuring out little, little left turns you can take, little corners you can go around and go, oh, well, I've taken this as a base and I've made it better because I've done X. Yep. But you've got to try it to begin with to have the chance to do that. Yeah. And I think the final tip that we should leave this on, Matt, is give yourself the chance to find new foods that you love. Absolutely. So give yourself that chance. You may not find – they may not be there, but they very well may be there. And you've been missing out on a, a, a range of different recipes you could be making because you've you've told yourself that you don't like an ingredient. Well, you, you said, Courtney, they may not be there. I disagree. They are there. You've just got to have, as we said, the patience and the persistence to stick with it. Because mm-hmm. the thing is you can't – you can't fall into the trap of looking at people like Courtney and I and going, oh, well, oh, must have been easy for them. They must have just like uh, done it on willpower. Like, fucking no. We've had to go through the same lumps as everyone else. We're just, we just now got the benefit of experience. Yes. There's no better teacher than that, is there? No. Uh, anything else you want to add, wife? Otherwise, we're going to wrap this one up, all right? No, I think that's a wrap. All right, we're done. We're done. Uh, high five. <laughs> Dorks. All right, now, we've got a Facebook group. Yes, we do. The Weight Loss Podcast. Over on Facebook. On Facebook, yes. Search the, uh, search the Weight Loss Podcast. You will also find a link for that in your podcast app right now. Come hang out with me, though I'm not very good to hang out with. Come hang out with Courtney, who's very good to hang out with. Yes. And more importantly... Come hang out with people like you, mm-hmm. other fans of the show, other like-minded people uh, over in the official The Weight Loss Podcast Facebook group. Yes. Courtney, we also have a swag page. Yes, we do. It is theweightlosspodcast.com forward slash shop. What can you get there? You get coffee mugs or an apron for when you do all of your cooking with your great new ingredients. What does the apron say? What does the apron say, Matt? Meal prep expert. In training. In training. <laughs> um, I'm currently right now holding up. What am I holding up, Courtney? A Not pair of see. our The Weight Loss Podcast socks. Now, what's on the socks? Us. <laughs> if you've ever wanted to have my ugly mug and Courtney's very pretty, beautiful <sighs> mug on your socks, guess what? Now's your chance. We're giving them to every member of my family for Christmas. <laughs> Hopefully not listening right now. I can just spoil the Christmas present. So you'll also, as Courtney said, theweightlosspodcast.com slash shop. You'll find a link for that in your podcast app as well. You can also go and find notes for this episode over over at the official website of theweightlosspodcast.com. What is, wait, I just gave it away. Wow. Wow. We're both doing so well today. So that is now a wrap. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) 
There's no better excuse to shut up and shut this show down. Hope you got got a lot out of this. Uh, if not, well, we'll try harder next time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, hey, we'll just keep showing up, won't yeah, we? We will. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Bye. Are you ready to share your success? Head over to our website for full access to our show notes, resources based on today's topic, and links to our Facebook group so you can share your story with our hosts and many others out there who are looking to achieve and maintain their health and fitness goals. You can find all that and more exclusively at theweightlosspodcast.com. 